0: All right, welcome to another episode of the Lou Nanny podcast here, 1500ESPN.com, iTunes, uh, Podcast One, all those good places that you can find podcasts these days. Lou, I'm going to start you off with this one. Wild, six of seven. We all said, you know what? The slow start, don't be concerned, right? They're, they'll be just fine. Uh, what do you make of this uh, stretch of uh, pretty doggone good play by them?
1: Well, they've been playing uh, very well lately, you know. Obviously, they, they lost the one game in Vancouver that they'd like to have back. But Vancouver's playing exceedingly well. I think they're on top of their division right now. They they also just beat Chicago, so you, you could tell they're they're a, a good team. But the Wild have uh, I think surprised somewhat uh, because uh, they've beaten some good teams. They beat them on the road. They've uh, they've given up the first goal. yet have been able to come back. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure they're they're pretty happy about the way things are going. The last six seven games.
0: What in your mind makes Boudreaux such an effective coach? Because I just I I come back to the fact that if if you look at his tenure in this league, he's had and not playoff wise, but certainly during the course of seasons, so much success. Why do you b- think that he is continually so successful?
1: Well, I I really can't pinpoint it except that I I get some thoughts about it, and I'll tell you what they are. But I I, I want to you know also say just what you said. It's really amazing the record this guy's had in the regular season. It's a tremendous record. It's not good. It's tremendous. And I do believe that he finds a way to get through to the players, to communicate them with them, to get his message through. And he has a knack for putting the guys the right guys out at the right time and that are hot, that can play well and, and, and he he really does know how he wants to play against other teams, and he gets the team to play that way. He's done a fabulous job since he's been in the NHL. It's something you just can't take for granted, because when you look at his win percentage and how much he's done, he's way up there among the best coaches of all time.
0: And what's, what's intriguing to me about it is there's definitely times where he gets mad and yells and screams, but he clearly uh, consistently is able to keep the players engaged. Because ordinarily, if if you think about a coach who gets upset a lot or an old-school coach that some might call it, you know, players in 2018 are liable at times to tune you out. But he has consistently not had that happen. And I don't know if it's an ability when things aren't going well to know what buttons to push. But back to your point, just looking at his year after year after year, regular season point total success, it is outstanding.
1: It is, and its outstanding uh, its not it has been that way. It's been continued right from when he started in the minors all the way through. He's won every place he's been at. And when you stop and think about it, he hasn't always had the same assistant coaches either. Mm-hmm. So so you can't say he's got a great staff. So it's, because that's changed over the years because he's been in different places, and, and, and general managers with the coach might want to make a change for you the Uh, defensive coach or the offensive coach who's handling the power play, who's handling the family killing. When it all comes down to it. There's been one constant, and that's been him behind the bench. And and I guess, uh, you know, you take for granted some of the abilities that he has to relate to the players, for them to understand what he's trying to do and get it done. If you don't get it done, he puts people in there that will.
0: How important do, do you think it is from his standpoint, too, that, that this was, was a guy who came up as as a heralded a junior prospect type of player, had a world of talent, and has talked fairly extensively about how he didn't deliver on that talent, partially or largely his fault. So how much do you think that that allows him to identify with and, and actually go to the level of a lot of different players? Because he knows what it was like to be a, a really good junior player but he also knows what it was like to, in some ways, scuttle that talent.
1: Well, I don't know if it's uh, because of his background. I think it's more of his understanding of the, of the situation and the ability that he had. It's not his playing ability, because when you look back, you'll find coaches that are, and, uh, like Scotty Bowman, you know, he, his career was cut short in junior. Mm-hmm. He had a plate in his head, and yet he was the winningest coach of all time. Al was a good, solid player throughout. He wasn't a starter, but he was a solid player. and needs the next winning coach. So it, it it usually goes to the ability of the coach to be able to understand what is needed on the team, how they have to play, communicating that message and getting the players to buy in. And if they don't, they get other people that, that, that will buy in. Because when you look at all the winningness coaches, they don't always have... Uh, All the great players—they do have. They're going to have good players. Mm -hmm. You don't want no other players, but they've had different levels of good players, and yet they've been able to get their message across to win.
0: Best coach that you had and why?
1: Well, uh, I guess in pro would be uh, Jack Gordon. I I, I don't say that I had great coaches, but uh, Jack Gordon was really a a guy that understood uh, his message. And how he had to get it across, and how he wanted you to play, and and uh, he was a no nonsense guy. Um, he wasn't not that he was a great communicator, but as far as how hockey should be played, how he wanted you to play, and and getting you to play that way, I, I I'd say he was uh, he was as good as there was when, when I played personally.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and
1: and I think Mariucci, you, when you look at Mariucci, he coached me in pro, But one of the things that Mariucci had was the ability to get the players to play above their ability. And he got that by, he worked them so hard, and he made them work. Not that he was a great tactician, which John was never a big X and O guy. I mean, John, funny thing I ever heard was we were at a coaching clinic at the Leamington Hotel for college coaches, and they said, John, what's the best uh, way to get the puck out of your zone? He says, well, I have the uh, spazitum. <laughs> Uh, Rocker, Richard and how in the forward line, puts and how in the orange and the defense, you get out any way you want. So <laughs> <laughs> that
0: it's not going to be a problem.
1: Yeah, that's no, not uh, a problem. <laughs> he was funny to have good players, uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, you know the uh, good coaches are able to communicate their message, have a real understanding of how they feel the game's got to be played, and they're able to get the players to do it.
0: Of all the jobs, Louie, that, that you held in this sport, why was coaching the one thing that never intrigued you or was, was something that you uh, pursued doing?
1: Well, I, uh, I had the good fortune when I was in the contract to after college that I coached the freshman team for four years uh, afterwards. And, uh, and actually, well, you know, about well, five years. And I, I liked, I loved coaching during the game because I. I love the, you know, maybe the uh, action of it, the matching lines, getting players to place, juggling, et cetera. I hate the repetition of practice. Okay. I'm just a, a real Gemini, and and repetitions in the you know to get the players to do the right thing. It's not practice makes perfect; it's perfect practice makes perfect. See, it's just like my grandfather in football. You got to do things over and over and over, and I hated that. I had the thoughts of how I wanted them to do things in practice, but you got to really do them over and over to to get it done right. I guess it was, to me, uh, it wasn't very attractive. And I knew when I took over coaching the NHL, I, I said the day I took over, I said, I'll only coach the end of the season, which is going to be two months, and then I'm going to hire somebody I don't want to coach again. And I did come back to the playoffs again, Toronto, because we hadn't beaten them all year. and Murray Oliver at that time was uh it, intern coach and he said you better come down and coach we, uh, so my message is not getting through we gotta, we gotta play these guys different me he said I think you better come and coach which I did but I, I never ever really liked it except for the game and I certainly uh, never ever thought that maybe I probably should coach for a lot longer coaches love to coach yep. they want to coach they are a 100 <laughs> and I used to tell Pat Quinn that you know he, he was in his 60s, and he wasn't coaching for a while. We were talking about wanted to get back and coach you. And he'd always be coaching manager because he wanted to handle the way he was. But I said, Pat, how can you keep coaching and doing that every day? I don't know. Every Brooks is the same way. Coaches, real coaches, will coach forever. Scotty Bowman. I mean, you can go on and on. Yeah, you right. Al Arbor. They coach forever.
0: In-game, when you did coach, the refereeing had to drive you crazy.
1: Yeah, it did, and, uh, and, <laughs> and it also drove some crazy. One night, uh, he came to my office before the game, and he says, uh, Newell's coaching. I, I'm a referee, and I can't coach. He always gives me gameless haven't lots of coach. I'll be in the press box. He's going, you can't do that. He's, well, I can't, I can't. He, I said, well, write it on your hand. Don't, don't yell at Newell, and, <laughs> and have Murray tell you. So he wrote around his hand, don't yell at Newell, and he said to Murray, if I yell at Newell, tell me not to do it. Well, this lasted about a period and a half, Murray, you know, two, three times a day. He said, you're not going to yell at me Only they finally said to Murray. Tell me that one more time, I'm sending you to the press box. <laughs> and, and I used to be the same way. And, and uh, I remember one of the years coming over to me, he said, Louie, before the game starts, I'm telling you right now, if you yell at me, you're getting a game uh, bench penalty right away. So, yeah, you know, I just had to bite my tongue.
0: And it seems now, when, when you watch games, coaches, they might yell, but it it's way more uh, subdued than it used to be. I, I remember guys standing up on the bench, taking a player's stick and knocking it against the boards to get the ref's attention. Now it seems there's certainly by play, I'm sure, there, but it's not nearly as demonstrative.
1: Well, that's a great point, uh, Chet, and I'll tell you what. The relationship between the referee and the players, referee and coach, doesn't exist anymore like it did back in the old days. You could tell you know, the referee whatever you wanted for a while when you're on the ice. You could yell and scream at him. You could swear at him. He'd swear back to you. And the same thing with the coaches. If you ever heard some of the banter going back and forth, you wouldn't believe it. And they, But they really had a relationship. And, the, and if it got carried away too far or you were making them look bad, then you'd get your, your bench your minor. But what happened was <clears throat> some of the players. Of the new generation, uh, yelled at a referee, and the r- referee swore back like they used to do. And the players turned him into the NHL, and and so Blair, you know, doing that, and the referee was fine. The relationship between the, the players and the, and the and the referees just went away because the referees didn't know what they could say and get away with it, and then, you know, try and answer back. Yep. And the players, then of course, were getting the that's miners right away for seeing. anything because the referee wasn't going to take it without reacting in some way. reacting reacting to the penalty, and you do not have the kind of banter you had before. And I got to tell you, with guys like uh, Bruce Hood, Bill Friday, Art School, I mean, it was just hilarious. I mean, you know, one time I'm I got a guy tied up throwing a net in school by by, and he says, I'm go to the hardware store after game. I'm getting a rope to tie the guy up a little better than you're doing now." He just because you you can't keep holding like that, you know. I mean, just guys, referees would do that. Now it's never done again.
0: So the players, I had no idea. So the players actually, the team reported the referee to the league. That's absolutely no fun whatsoever.
1: I'm shocked no, by that. No, well, that's what happens when huh. you know when you know guys don't have that relationship, and man, that's, that's just a change of the guard, I guess. I guess, but uh, but. Uh, Every time that happens, you you'll see even in the player in the paper players you see yeah, and then he swore at me. Why well, you never see that in the old days? The referee would swear at you all game long because you'd be swearing at him all game long.
0: Right, it's a give and take.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it changed. It changed, and uh, now you don't have it. Like it, it was, it, I mean, it was really funny. It was hilarious some of the things the referees would come up with, and the things that they tell you. And the next. in a way, and what they were telling you is you keep doing what you're doing and that certain play you're going to get a penalty mm-hmm. you know and, and, and there was a much better rapport with it and maybe it's you know also part of the way the game is changed as far as the rules and obstruction and stuff like that and uh, and now they call it so much sticky tech stuff that I can't take it you know the uh, flash on the hands which is just a tap uh, lifting the stick which you're saying you're getting hands parallel these are called uh, just uh, the NHL wanted to protect the, the better players in a way that they could score more and do more things, which uh, you know is the attraction of the game, I guess, when they've done what they wanted. But I think it, uh, it, it gets less attractive when
0: you call it, you know, to get that penalty. Can you explain to me the National Hockey League schedule? Because it starts it starts now with that big gap. Like you play a game or two, right, Louie? You play a game yeah. or two and then you're off a week and now and now it, it's relatively early in the schedule and the wild has a seven game trip on which they're actually returning twice because there's such a block of time between games. I, I don't get this schedule.
1: Do you well nobody gets a schedule? First of all you have to remember that you have a lot of teams, I guess. 31, uh, sure. uh, what do we got? 30, uh, 32 teams now. And you you got to, because of all the different things going on in the buildings on top of it, you take LA, for instance. you got, you got not only the Kings playing there, the Lakers and the Clippers also play there. And I think they have something else in there. And and with so many events, you know, teams trying to make money through the buildings on events to try and pay the big nuts that they got through those big buildings. You you only have so many nights that are available and you submit your nights at the beginning of the year they're thrown at the computer and yep. the computer goes and that's the way it does. Which I really think that there still should be some flexibility. We used to be able to go down the chair managers and I'd make two, three trips a year in the summer to Montreal until I got the schedule that we wanted because we wanted X amount of Saturday nights for our fans. Yep. They were our best drawn nights. We want to make sure we're drawing well. We didn't all we didn't want uh, Back to backs with uh, us being the entire team. So we playing in Chicago Wednesday, to come home to play a team that's sitting in Minneapolis on Thursday. For instance, mm-hmm. we didn't want four and five nights. We had all these different things that we wanted, and you know, each general manager just goes in mm-hmm. there in the lobby for the schedule they wanted to. So, and Phil Scheuer was the guy that was on no computers, and, and that's how they used to do the schedule. And uh, there was twenty-one teams, and so we'd go and everybody battled for what they wanted. And and at the end of the day, you'd be you'd be pretty happy about your schedule. We didn't have our own plane like all the teams do now, so you needed time for travel. You, you wanted to make certain that you you know you you weren't getting that tired team at the wrong times. I mean, you being the tired team, right? So we were able to finesse the schedule. Now they can't do that anymore, and I think that's a tragedy because I do believe even with the computers, you might be able to go in there and. and or a game or two around and would take away those uh, tired back-to-backs so of four and five nights and cut it a bit.
0: I also seem, Louie, to recall that that uh, back in the North Stars days, there, there were you, you guys had a lot of Saturday night home games, but you also seemed to play a lot on Wednesday, and now it's very much a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday league. I think you had something like 13 games on Tuesday, one this past Wednesday, and then Thursday night, I think you're back up to 12 or 13.
1: Well, some of us, in fact, most of us, and I think uh, uh, we didn't care as much Mon- Monday night football wasn't as big then, mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, so the uh, Canadian teams, of course didn't care if they were playing Monday nights because uh, they weren't watching American football. now American football uh, is so big on Monday nights that you also try and try and uh, stay away from that, but now. If you take a look right now, the luster of Monday night football has gone away somewhat. I mean, you still get good ratings, But but people aren't uh, in tune with it, I don't think, the way they were in the past. You know, when Howard Cassell and Don Meredith, it was just like a Monday night event. Now I think it's become they've become more accustomed to it, and, and teams aren't afraid to go against it on Monday night.
0: Yeah, because it, it's not a, a great game now. Because you're you're right. No. Back then, it used to be a must see game for all sports fans, and now and now I, I think it's still watched quite a bit. But it's not as it's not the the uh, sacred cow that it probably once was. You're right about that.
1: Yeah. So it's it's given more teams the flexibility that uh, uh, to use those nights that they didn't in the past. But we right. didn't we uh, we didn't mind going against them on Monday nights. So you know personally, we did go on Monday nights because we. We felt that you know uh, Minnesota was if it was the Vikings playing that's what we look at. Minnesota was a, a hockey area, and people would wouldn't mind coming to the hockey game rather than staying home and watch football.
0: Absolutely, yep. Hey, after we talked uh, last week, John Ziegler, who was the president of the National Hockey League, Lou from uh, 1977 to 92, passed away. How much of an influence did he have? If I recall correct, he took over in 77 from Clarence Campbell, but just in the growth of the sport itself.
1: Well, he had a great influence, and, and he, was, uh, he, he was a terrific guy. He was an excellent personality. He wanted everybody involved and happy. <clears throat> he had a tremendous region, relationship with Bill Wirtz. So Bill Wirtz was chairman of the board and, and very, very powerful because of his position. Uh, Wirtz was really put in. One of the guys that really put him in, mm-hmm. besides uh, Norris, it was Norris, and he had the other guy was McNulty because McNulty, who was one of our owners, very close to Norris to build the building, etc. And so when they were putting the commissioner in, Norris works in, in McNulty, I, I would tell you, was the three strongest guys to put Ziegler in that position. And Ziegler developed a very close relationship with Alan Eagleson, so he was able to avoid strikes and, and, and do a lot of things he wanted to do. And I, I, I will tell you this, uh, the league meetings were fun. He made them fun, because John loved the dance. He, he loved to play golf. So the, the the board meetings in December were much different than the other three in the NHL. They'd have cricket. He'd be at the breakers playing <laughs> cricket. They, uh, I mean, it was more a party. He had, he had committees all over the place. Everybody had a committee. They were on. And, and uh, John made it enjoyable for the owners. Everybody, Everybody used to enjoy going to the meetings. As a matter of fact, we used to call it the NHL. Navy because a lot of them like Wirts and, and uh, Snyder and Navy Square had hundred and twenty five floors, was a sailboat, and had one, Pickett had one, they all had these yachts, so they'd all bring them down to Palm Beach during the during the meetings and you'd have cocktail parties on the yachts and then you go to a the meeting, then you do something in the afternoon you play golf or cricket or whatever tennis, whatever you wanted, and like with the Buffalo guys played tennis. It was it was it was a great time had by all, i got to tell you.
0: I would say that, that that assessment is probably true of all all sports and uh, professional sports in particular, Louie, that there is no there's no pro sport now that is probably nearly as much fun for the people involved as the fun that you guys had back in the day then.
1: I agree. You know, when, you, when you look at how big the game's got and money-wise and how important it is and... As I said before, Bill Woods always said he would allow things to go along if, uh, and go with the players because he was willing to take a gentleman's loss, and that was. And he said, "That's two hundred fifty thousand. That's what he's losing a year. Other than that, then he was going to change things and, and uh, get mad about it, and be tighter with the players, et cetera. Well, now you know it's nothing to lose five million dollars. out a bad signing. Right. So the money involved in the game is so different, and it's made. Uh, leash is short on, on on managers and coaches, on, on what you do with players, etc. It's really changed the complexion of the game because now mistakes are so costly, which they weren't before. Relatively speaking, they were, they were still costly, but not nearly as costly as they are now.
0: And the tone is just now so... Serious to me, right? I mean, you, yeah, you've, you've yeah. got all these departments, analytics departments now, and the pressure. And I, I'm not saying that, that w- when you were in charge that there was not pressure, because there's always been pressure in sports. But it just seems now it's been turned up, and the amount of fun had by by people seems to be minimal compared to then.
1: That's right. There's so many more things uh, in management today than there were there before. And uh, with all those moving parts, it all costs money. Mm-hmm. So mistakes are magnified because if you 're not winning as i said the, the the cost is so so different it could be horrendous what you lose in a year i mean it 's nothing to see how many teams in the national hockey league have lost twenty five million in the last ten fifteen years mm-hmm. why even relatively speaking, plays versus other dollars twenty five million is a lot of money you never ever <laughs> have those kind of losses I mean. As I said, when I took over the North Stars, <clears throat> whole payroll was a million two. Right. When I left there in 1961, the whole payroll was six point seven million. Great, right. seventy-five million. Now that's just the players' payroll. And and when where well, we used to have one assistant coach, one equipment man, and uh, you know, and uh, one other guy in the locker room. Now you magnify that by you know five times. You probably got fifteen, sixteen guys around there that you're traveling with. Our traveling parties would be 25, 26 the most. Now they're 40. You know, it's amazing what the costs have gone, and how many more people are employed to, you know, make the game better, make the players better, and it trust money to do that.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you, you've you got entire departments now that that yeah. hadn't even been thought of then. Oh, and, and
1: then... I mean, we, we were... Here. You know, we we might have uh, four or five full time scouts. Maybe you'll go to some teams that were right now when we got in the twenties and, and they got them. Uh, you we might have one in Europe and now they've probably got one in each country. There's so many things that have changed in uh, trying to find that great player and trying to make the, the right move. So it, it's become a real big business. When you look at well, all you gotta do is just look at the franchise fee It's five hundred million for Vegas, Now you gonna have six Six fifty for Seattle coming in when they come in. So
0: it's gonna be six fifty, huh?
1: Yeah, it's gonna be six fifty. Oh my I bet gosh. You, They haven't announced it. I haven't seen it, but I will bet you right <laughs> now six fifty.
0: They're gonna yeah. get a good expansion draft, Louis.
1: Yeah. Well, no, they're gonna get the same draft, and it's, they're not gonna get as good. You know why? Because the draft will be the same as they've had. Yeah. And all the general managers will figure out the mistakes they made. When they're fighting the bullet and, and taking the loss of one player. For the money that they're getting, yep, and try to out finesse so them by saying, Well, leave him alone, we'll give you this and that. And now everybody's gonna say, Okay, take what you want. There's the one player, we're not giving up any extra assets, sure. There's too many, too many general managers were different by giving too much.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, and and uh, here's you know, is a prime example, right? Where well, yeah. you could have lost yeah. one guy, but but at the time. I'm not sure about you. At the time that the Wild did it, I thought, okay, that's that's fairly smart to keep guys. But in retrospect, you're exactly right. It turned out to be a disaster for some teams.
1: Well, I didn't think it was right. I I, I, I You're smarter than me, Louie. That's the yeah, difference. No, no, I just... You know I, more about hockey than me like to give up that extra asset. I, I just would have bitten the bullet. If they were going to give up protein which that's where they probably would have lost, yep. you give them up and you keep all on tuck I mean, that's... That's what I am. I, I just I just never like to give up extra unless it's unless it's guys that I'm, I have no plans on, right? You know, and then to the guys you have no plans on, and you're keeping a real great player. That's fine, right? But, but when there's other guys sort have been planned in your in your organization, then you you really would like to just give up one. You know, you got to lose something. Everybody's going to get hurt, and mm-hmm. it's easier, like you said, after all of said and done, than to see how how they involving, but but you did know that Tucker, you know Hala was was a really good speed guy. Even though he didn't get a lot of goals, he was very effective at that time. Penalty killing, he could uh, really be good defensively, checking the top line. Mm-hmm. He did that during history on other breaks he went. And Tech was a first round pick that, you know, um, they probably thought at the time he wasn't going to do much. And I, that I don't mind if you you make a judgment. And think he's, he's not going to be something. And, and before other people see it, do it and get rid of him. And like we did it with Ronnie Meehan. We tra- we traded him, mm-hmm. uh, we drafted him first in the first round. I think he was 10th or 12th of a defenseman one year. Mm-hmm. And the following year, we got him in training camp. And, and uh, I'll never forget, it was in North Dakota. We were playing an exhibition game. He was right below me. And the way he went in and checked the guy, I didn't like him. I I just had some misgivings about how he was playing that night. I went back that night and I traded him. He was part of the package that got me the first round pick from Pittsburgh that we picked Lotton with because we were going to be picking 17th or 18th. And I gave him our first round for Pittsburgh's first round, which turned out to be first game. Um,
0: Your your thoughts on Gopher Hockey, which started a couple weeks ago and then they played North Dakota, what, in Vegas last weekend and lost. What are your expectations with Matsko now in his first year, Lou?
1: Well, I, even though they didn't play as well in North Dakota, I, I was at that. Excuse me, in Vegas against North Dakota, I was at that game. Uh, they just had a, a, an off game. They they, they were they weren't real good in the first. They weren't bad, yeah. but after that, they were, they just weren't sharp. They weren't quick in the park. They weren't. Uh, they were missing checks. Their passing wasn't great, and I just think it was an off night. But having said all that, I uh, I still was thoroughly really impressed with Robson. Played an outstanding game in the nets. I think uh, the group is going to have a real good season because I I like what they're trying to do, and I think they're going to be able to get done with a lot of things they want to do. They've got some good speed and skill, and uh, their depth is good, Mm -hmm. and I do do believe they're going to have an outstanding season.
0: How different is the style going to be uh, transitioning from Lucia to Matsko?
1: Well, you know, you know. The average fan might not notice some stuff. I do I do think you'll notice the checking. Uh, they will notice that they're, more, they're going to play more physical. And I do think that they'll see that they're going to maybe play at a little faster pace. But I think the, the way they're going to uh, defend is going to be different and, and uh, maybe a little more effective. All right, sir. I appreciate the
0: time. Talk to you next Thanks. week. Okay, yes. Louis?
1: Take care. Nice talking to you. All right. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye.